Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. this morning. A uh, little bit different. No food down the center aisle. Some of y'all are happy about that. Others are not. If you missed that, uh, I'm sorry. It was great and we ate for you. I promise. It was very good. So um, have you noticed, I, I've noticed this, when, when my kids were little, um, you could, now we didn't do this. We did not do this, but you could do this. Did you notice when your kids were little that you could wrap a gift and like there'd be nothing in it? and they were happy with the box and the wrapping paper. Anybody want to go back to that? Yeah, I do. My checkbook does every day. That's right. Let's just go back to that. But I've noticed something as, as uh, we get older, we tend to pay less and less attention to the wrappings. And we want to get to what's in the wrappings, right? We, I mean, you, you can go to the mall and pay extra. I've done this once, and then I realized it was a waste of money because nobody pays attention to it. But you can go to the mall and pay extra, and, like, they'll fold it exact. I mean, every seam lines up. The corners are tucked. I mean, it's like it's like a magician wrap. I mean, it's just perfection. Uh, it just, it's perfect. And you, and you present it to the person. And you want them to notice how it all lines up and like the bow actually matches the wrapping paper, which is like an anomaly. And uh, that means it doesn't normally happen. And, 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 and it, right? And they don't even pay any attention. It's just like, and it's, it's gone. And they want it. Okay. So we know that's ha- that happens. That tends to happen when we think about the gift of Jesus. In this season, we tend to push past the wrappings that Jesus came in to get to the content. And I recognize that the content is extremely important, but what we're trying to do this season is slow down long enough to examine the wrappings that Jesus was contained in so that we don't miss the truth of those wrappings. And so we started that last week, and and I'll I'll reference it again this week, what we talked about. But let's start in Matthew chapter 2, the Christmas story. Uh, we've read it so often that we often no longer stop long enough to even think about what we're reading. So let's let's slow down a little bit. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 6. It says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem village. <clears throat> now, I, I'm not going to preach my message yet, but just, just think about that. We know that's true, but think about it again. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, Judah territory, this was during Herod's kingship, a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east, and they began to ask around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on pilgrimage to worship him. And when word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified, and not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. So Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religion scholars in the city together and asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And this just blows my mind that they recognize this in Scripture but don't recognize it in their moment. Uh, Word. Okay, Uh, that's a different message. (laughs) Uh, So they told him, Bethlehem, Judah territory. 
The prophet Micah wrote it plainly. They say it themselves. He wrote it plainly. It's you, Bethlehem, in Judah's land, no longer bringing up the rear. That's an important statement we'll get to. No longer bringing up the rear. From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule my people, my Israel. Then uh, another familiar passage that we've read so often, Luke chapter 2, verse 7, two different translations. Luke chapter 2, verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Different translation says this, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in strips of cloth and set him down in a manger since there was no room for them in the inn. And I'm not going to read it to you, but later Luke says this was a sign to the shepherds that were watching their flock by night. Okay, so um, I've said that we've, we pushed past wrappings to get to content and we miss the truth of the wrappings and so we're trying to spend some time on the wrapping so last week I began to talk to you about the fact that John makes one of the most profound statements about Jesus that's ever been made when he makes this statement he says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us it, literally he's saying this Jesus was wrapped in our humanity I'm thankful that Jesus came and was not just God but was God and man because he couldn't save us if he wasn't one of us he was wrapped in humanity but this morning what I want to say to you is that we need to not only recognize that Jesus was wrapped in humanity, but this morning I want to focus on this. He was also, and significantly, this is significant for us, he was not only wrapped in humanity, he was also wrapped in humility. We need to remember that. I have a question. Why wasn't Jesus wrapped in Jerusalem? I mean, it's the capital city. It, it's where it's the center place of the, the nation. It's where all the attention is paid. It's where all the shops are, all the commerce is taking place. Why didn't God send Jesus to Jerusalem to be born? I have another question. I, I know many of you have not been there, but I just happened to be there just not too long ago. Why, why didn't he, like, package Jesus in Caesarea? Because in Caesarea, uh, after you've walked through the desert, and it's a, it literally is a dry and barren land. There, there's no trees. You, uh, th this is outside. Take that one off because I don't want them to see that yet because that's different. That's Jerusalem, all right? I got it out of order. Uh, Caesarea is like walking into Myrtle Beach in that day. It was a modern city that Herod had built. It, uh, it, it had, it, there was commerce there. You walk in and there's a 6,000 seat amphitheater. There's an arena where they do gladiator fights. It, it's on the coast. It's on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, it's like I was looking for t-shirt vendors at Myrtle Beach. I've been to the beach. It, it, that's what it feels like. It, it's, it's modern. He, he constructs a 300 ship harbor. He, uh, this one blew my mind. When you walk into the ruins of the palace out in the middle of the sea, right off the bank, somehow he figured out how to construct an Olympic-sized freshwater swimming pool, and he pipes water for four miles to fill up that freshwater in a desert environment. Some, why wasn't Jesus packaged and wrapped there? I mean, those cities, those cities are, are fit for a king. Those cities were worthy of a savior. So why not position the king of kings in New York rather than sending him to Bridge Creek? Uh, 
that, that is literally the difference that's taking place here. That's the environment that he's in. Instead, God wraps Jesus in humility. He wraps him in this little place called Bethlehem in swaddling clothes. So let's take a moment. Just take a moment and deal with the wrappings, and then I'll make application. Herod begins to ask for information regarding Jesus' birth location, and the priests reflect on a prophecy given by the prophet Micah that says Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. You need to understand the concept of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a humble setting. There was no palace there. There were no satin sheets available. He was born, we like to glamorize it and make it like this little wood stable area. It was probably a cave because there's no wood in Israel. It's all rock. It's just rock after rock. He's probably born into a cave. It's this nondescript community that's positioned outside the walls of Jerusalem. It's overlooked. It's underestimated. In fact, in the prophecy itself, Micah says, look, this birth that's going to take place in you, O Bethlehem, is going to move you up from the rear and force you to lead. So he's even talking about the fact that, that Bethlehem and the scope of everything that they're observing and, and experiencing is this just little backwards town outside the walls. He is born into a town that is used to being last. I need you to get this up. Uh, this is kind of a side note, but I think it's, it, it, you've got to, we don't understand this. I never understood this until I walked there, and I understand it now. On the 10th day of the first month of the year, five days before Passover, every family was required to choose a lamb for Passover sacrifice, per the instructions given to God and given by God to Moses in Exodus chapter 12. You can go read that for yourself. Jewish historians record that the lambs that were used for sacrifice were brought up to Jerusalem from the fields of Bethlehem. All right, y'all missed that, so I'm going to come back to it. Um, and so what they would do is they would, they would go to Bethlehem, and in the fields of Bethlehem, the Sadducees, to make sure that they were getting wealthy, were, were raising sheep in Bethlehem that had to be used on Passover. In fact, when a family would arrive for Passover and bring their own lamb, the Sadducees would say, no, that one won't work. It's not good enough. You have to buy one of ours. That's why Jesus shows up and he, he turns over the tables of the money changers because he recognized they were stealing from the people and they were using the sacrifice for their own benefit. They would go to Bethlehem and they would gather these sheep and they would bring them through the northeast gate of the city right past the pool of Bethesda, and they would bring them through the gate, which is called the Sheep Gate. Okay, stay with me. Josephus says that on the day of Passover, that up to a million, million and a half Jews would make their way up the Temple Mount to the temple to offer sacrifices, and he says that as many as 250,000 lambs were offered on the day of sacrifice. 250,000. In fact, he says so many lambs were offered that the priests would begin to take buckets of water and they would catch the blood and they would pour water and blood over the east wall of Jerusalem to the point that it would run down the wall and then it would fill up the valley, Kidron Valley right there and it would run, blood would run like a river. Now show the picture. Because out of the, this is the, uh, this is the northeast corner, right back over here in this corner, of the temple. I am taking the picture from the Garden of Gethsemane. 
so in other words, while the lamb is praying and saying, nevertheless, and he's struggling with the fact that I am the lamb, he's watching the blood of 250,000 lambs being poured over the wall, recognizing that he has been sent to make the ultimate sacrifice. Now you're getting it, because here's what we know. We know that when Jesus and his disciples gather for that final trip into Jerusalem, that they begin that trip on a donkey at Bethpage, and Bethpage is, in the east, is to the east of Jerusalem, and the road travels over the Mount of Olives, and he arrives in, outside the walls of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday by riding through the Sheep Gate. Okay, uh, should I drop the mic and walk away now? Do you see the symbolism now that the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth, that, 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 that Jesus understood who he was, and he's born in Bethlehem where the lambs were raised and prepared for Passover sacrifice, and he arrives on the day of the sacrifice through the sheep gate, and he's wrapped in this nondescript, unimpressive city, but there was significance to it. And then Luke adds in, Luke chapter 2, verse 12, he says that this will be a sign to the shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Remember the sheep born in Bethlehem? History tells us that the, the, that the shepherds, when these, they knew that these sheep were going to make their way to the sacrifice. They, were, they are tasked, that's what they are tasked to do, is raise the sacrificial lambs. History says that when these little lambs were born, they would take strips of cloth and wrap it around the lambs to protect their bodies in the struggle of birth. And then they, they would take that newly born lamb with it trying to struggle and thrash about. They would take it wrapped in strips of cloth and they would lay it in a hayfield manger until it calmed down. Because they recognized that if the, the lamb is born and he thrashes around he, and he's bruised or he's broken, he's no longer fit for sacrifice. God in flesh, wrapped in cloth strips, laid in a hay-filled manger, no silver spoon, no special onesie, common setting for an uncommon birth. We miss the truth of the wrappings. So let's make application. A couple thoughts for you this morning because, see, Jesus was not only wrapped in humanity, he was also wrapped in humility. What that says to me is this, is that where you come from doesn't keep God from getting you to where he needs you to be. Even in a nondescript, unlikely, overlooked, and less than ideal setting, God can find you and help you find your purpose. He has that ability. Your environment was not an accident. It wasn't incidental that your family wasn't perfect. It wasn't an accident that others couldn't find you when they were handing out talents and couldn't find you when they were handing out awards. It was not an accident that he kept you hidden as long as he's kept you hidden. But you've got, also got to understand that your environment that you were birthed into, born into, forced into, has no bearing on your destiny if you let God find you. See, Jesus shows us that you can be birthed in a backstreet setting and he can get you to Main Street. I, I, maybe I ought to say it like this. Maybe you never thought about this, but Jesus was a backstreet boy. Oh, I messed up your Christmas already. I'm sorry. See, 
See, we allow our des- we allow our environment to dictate our destiny, and your life may be wrapped in a humble beginning, but quit whining about it and embrace it and recognize that he simply and strategically positioned you in humility so that he could get the glory. See, you need to understand that if our Father births us in humility and we are able to walk in that humility faithfully, because most of us struggle with that quite a bit. We want the mic. We want the spotlight. We want the prominence. But if, if we learn to walk in faithfulness in the, the humility that God wraps our lives in, then he can position us and promote us because he understands we won't try to steal the glory from the one who deserves it. The second thing I understand is this, is that Jesus teaches us that humility is the wrapping that produces greatness. Jesus, from very humble beginnings, I've, I've, I've already tried to illustrate how humble those, begin, those beginnings were for him. Overlooked. Off the beaten trail. Unexpected. But out of that beginning, he impacts history. And here's the issue. We like that story because it's an unexpected end. Here's a baby, overlooked, nobody expects him, in a town that nobody expects him to be born in, in an environment to to a a, a less than royal family. We like that one because it has a good ending. He's the king of kings, lord of lords. That makes a great Hallmark movie. Until it's our life. And then when God births us into uh, humble beginnings, we want to fight our way out. Okay, Paul says like this in Ephesians, he tries to teach us this. He says that humility is essential so that we won't boast. He says it like this, he says it is by grace, it is grace by which we have been saved through faith and this is not from ourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. He recognizes that most of us have a tendency to want to boast. That's like white people being proud that they're white. Well, what choice did you have in the matter? That's like black people being black power. What choice did you actually have? I didn't, did, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe y'all got to say, hey, I want to be white. I want to be black. I want to be Hispanic. I'd like to be all mixed up and not know who I am. What, did you get to vote? I didn't get to vote. But we take, we take pride in the stupidest stuff. Okay, y'all didn't like that. That's all right. Some of y'all thought some of y'all thought you got to choose. I, if we had not been wrapped up in humility, then we would not only take the credit, but we would also sabotage our own greatness. Why do I say that? How? This is what we know for a fact. And again, we read it in Scripture, just like the the, the people of that day. They read it in Scripture, but they didn't understand. We've read it in Scripture that God hates that's pretty strong language God hates pride and then he tells us pride always comes before a fall okay see we know it but we struggle with it so I've made this logical jump then if pride comes before a fall then isn't it logical that the more humble a person is the higher that person can go Isn't that the logical conclusion? So, this is what I'm saying. As we approach a Christmas, 
that has become so comparison driven. Until we, we, we judge our own Christmas gifts. Okay, I, I'm not asking you to be honest. I'll be honest. All right, so you go to buy your kids shoes. And does the thought not go through your head? Well, so-and-so's kids will have this brand, so I better upgrade just a little bit. I can't afford it. And, like, I know it's going to put me in debt for six months, but I'll go ahead and do this because I don't want them to be. Okay. <laughs> I wondered if I was the only one. All right. All right. So this, this Christmas that we are in, it's comparison-driven. So we, we, we make judgments by our gifts. We make judgments by our tree. Come on now. You really that into a tree that you got to, like, like you want to put it in front of the window and you saw like the Charlie Brown, Brown Christmas tree next door. And so, you knew, okay, all right, y'all are holier than I am, I guess. Huh? We want to compare our families. Like my family showed up Christmas and we didn't kill each other and y'all can't even get along. So my family must be better than your family. <laughs> Against the backdrop of this, I want to ask you a question. If Jesus is wrapped up in our humanity, then is Jesus also wrapped up in our humility? I want to say this to you this morning. I believe that it is absolutely essential that we go back and, and take on a wrapping of humility because I remind you, just like I told you last week, that since Jesus is wrapped in our humanity, simply put, pride then is a mismatched wrapping. If we say Jesus lives in us, but we're wrapped in pride, it is a mismatch wrapping, and it misrepresents the gift, the present that is inside of us. Jesus shows us that there's a way to show love, and the way to show love is to wrap it in humility. So let me be very practical and point out three things, and then I'll get out of your way. Three things. Let's check our pride this morning. Are you too proud to point? Jesus said this, he says, if you see me, you see my father. He spent his entire life pointing to the father. My question is, is this, does what you buy, does how you spend your life, does what you talk about, does it point to Jesus? Or is everything that you're involved in and trying to accomplish and everything you're spending your money and your time, is it pointing to you? If we're wrapped up in pride, we want it to point to, to us, but we can determine whether or not we're wrapped in humility by everything that we do. I don't want the credit. I don't want the applause. I don't want the fame. I don't want the accolades. I don't want, the, I don't want any of that. I just want all attention to go to Jesus. You know you're not wrapped in pride when you're humble enough to recognize there's nothing good in us except Jesus. And so we point to him. Who are you pointing to? Secondly, are you too proud to plow? Because, see, Jesus came into this environment and he says, I've come to serve, not be served. 
that's the picture of the Savior kneeling down, washing feet. And, and just by the way, go read the story again. His service was not easy, and his service was not convenient. In fact, his service wasn't even accepted because he said he came to his own, and his own wouldn't even receive him. But he, he plowed, and he kept plowing and serving and serving. And yet for us, many of us are so wrapped up in pride that we won't serve, we won't work, we won't stay committed, we won't keep at it when it gets tough. We only want to serve when somebody will notice. We only want to serve when somebody will pat us on the back and say, good job, we're so thankful for you. We, we've forgotten that our example came as a servant, so we serve because he served. So my question is this morning is, are you so proud that you'll walk away from the plow because nobody thanked you? Nobody noticed you. They wouldn't give me a t-shirt that had the roll on the front. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't put my name in the bulletin. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't promote me at work. They wouldn't use me. They wouldn't put me in charge. And Jesus just kept serving and serving and serving and serving serving so we must simply follow the example of the servant savior we are supposed to be pattering our life after and allow ourselves to be wrapped in humility so now I serve whether anybody notices when it, whether anybody says thank you whether I get promoted I serve because I serve him are you too proud to point are you too proud to plow and the last one is this are you too proud to partner because what I've seen over the course of our existence is that pride causes us to think that we can make it alone. All I need is Jesus. There's one problem with that. Not only, Jesus didn't even need just Jesus. Isn't that crazy? I just need me some Jesus. I don't need you. I don't need anybody else in my life. Just leave me and Jesus alone. We'll be fine. Really? Because Jesus didn't even live like that. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus called disciples to him, you know why? To spend time with, to not be alone, to do life together. Pride produces walls. Pride causes us to hold people at arm's length because we know the truth about us. Y'all missed that. Pride causes me to hold you at arm's length because I know the truth about me and I'm afraid if I let you get too close, you will figure something out about me that I don't really want you to know because it will bust down the wall of my pride and then I won't be able to strut in here like I'm everything in a bag of chips because you'll know me. Pride causes us to put up this facade and we act fake and we don't want to let anybody get too close. But humility produces this reliance on each other where I recognize I'm not all that in a bag of chips. In fact, there are a lot of days I, I don't even know how to live life. And so I got to have people surrounding me that will pull me up and hold me accountable and help me in my walk and help me learn to serve and help me learn to point. I got to have people surrounding me, checking on me to make sure I'm not like losing my mind and not, okay, maybe it's just me, but, but humility, humility helps us to embrace the fact that I am absolutely, get this, I am absolutely incomplete without you. That's why the New Testament writer says that when he places us in a body, every joint supplies. We've got to have us all working together. 
Are you humble enough to come to this moment in your life where you recognize, I need somebody else? Are you wrapped in humility? Jesus is wrapped up in our humanity, but can people see him via your humility? Because I, I just want to be honest with you, and, and, then I, and then I'll stop. More times than not, what I've discovered is that as Christians, people don't want the Jesus they see in us. Because when they're hurt, and when they're not like us, and when they're different skin color, and they drive a lower economic car than we do, or they don't live in the same neighborhood we do, or they're not, then we turn our noses up. And in that, catch this, in that moment, because of our lack of humility, they see Jesus' nose go up. And the gift that he presented through us is miswrapped. And we miss an opportunity to point and to plow and to partner. And so what I'm asking us to come to grips with this morning is this. I'm, I, we prayed last week that Jesus would help us as, as we walk through this Christmas season that we can represent, represent, because people like to be, re, 83% of Americans are fine with receiving a re-gifted gift. So now... We've said that our task is to re-present, re-present Jesus. But I'm telling you, the only way that that will happen is when we represent him wrapped in humility. It means you've got to let your walls down. It means you've got to go out of your way to serve. It means you've got to get your attention off yourself and point to him. Would you stand with me this morning? A very simple prayer this morning. Would you pray this with me in your own way? Let me lead you, but, but would you pray this in your own way? And it's a dangerous prayer, but a necessary. Father, I'm asking you this morning that you would Humble us. Humble us, oh God. I pray that if we're wrapped up in any kind of pride, whether it's pride over race, pride over status, pride as a result of where we live, what we do, what we own, what owns us, I'm asking you to wipe that out. And I pray that as we walk through this Christmas season, that the Jesus that is inside of us, wrapped up in my humanity, would be easy to spot, easy to recognize, easy to relate to, because I'm wrapped in humility and I'm willing to point to Jesus. And I'm willing to serve Jesus. And I'm willing to partner with people in need because I'm in need. So, Father, this morning I pray I come against any sense of pride that might have a root in any of us. 
We recognize, Jesus, that you came wrapped in humility. You could have gone to Main Street, but you ended up on Back Street so that you could, you could preach a message to us of this, that your Father knew exactly where you were. God, you know exactly where we are. I pray that if there's anyone in this sanctuary or watching online this morning that feels overlooked and forgotten, that, Father, you would remind them this morning that you know exactly where they are. They're not too far gone. They're not too far overlooked. There's no way you've forgotten about them. You know exactly where you've positioned them. I pray that you would remind them that they can still get to the planned destination because you put them where they are now on purpose. And God, I pray that you would allow us to operate in humility so that you can use us to do great things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, no one looking around except my prayer team. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, you have not initiated a relationship with him. The good news is he's initiated a relationship with you. That's why he's let you come here this morning. He knew that you needed relationship. The challenge of entering a relationship with Jesus is you've got to get past pride, which says I can do this on my own. Newsflash, none of us can do this on our own. None of us. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot, we cannot do this on our own. That's why he sent Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you need to establish a relationship with Jesus, I'm asking you to be humble for just one moment and make this claim. I need you, Jesus. I desperately need you. But I also recognize that I can't walk in this relationship with him by myself, so I'm going to need some help. We will not embarrass you. We will simply help you and pray for you and put materials in your hand. If you don't know Jesus this morning and would like to begin that relationship, would you just quickly raise your hand? You can pull it right back down. Say, I need him. I desperately need him in my life. I desperately need him in my life. Father, as we go through this season together, I pray that we would take every opportunity at hand to represent and to re-gift you well. We may think that we don't have what it takes to do that. I pray that you'd remind us today that you can use even those that come from humble beginnings to impact history. I pray that we would impact those around us with your love, with your humanity, with your humility, we would win our friends and our family and our co-workers and our classmates to you by pointing to you, serving you, partnering with one another. We ask you to accomplish this in Jesus' name. Would you do this? Would you turn to your neighbor before you're seated? Just, just two or three people and, and, and look at them and say, I see Jesus in you and I need you. And then you can be seated this morning. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.